Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, her first big TV job was starring on Murder One, created by the great Stephen Bochco, and she never looked back. I don't think she has gone one day without working since. Welcome, Mary McCormick, to the podcast. A-OK. everyone. So I have the honor and privilege to be speaking with one of my oldest and most favorite friends on the planet, Mary McCormick. Um, I'm going to just name a few of uh, the, what I think you've done over 50 films and definitely over that many television shows. We're maybe into the hundreds now. We're maybe into the triple digit. It was so fun going back because Mary and I know each other from the New York theater world, Tony nominated actress Mary McCormick is who we have here today. So on Broadway, Mary was in Cabaret and Boeing Boeing. Some of her, it's probably more than 50 films. I'm, I'm, I'm wrong about that, but some of them are Deep Impact and K-Pax and Private Parts and Full Frontal. And then on television, There's K Street and House of Lies and The West Wing and In Plain Sight and The Kids Are All Right and Heels. If you go to IMDb, you'll be overwhelmed. You'll put on your reading glasses and you'll just see rows and rows and rows of like not just work, but such an eclectic, beautiful career of memorable performances. She's an award-winning actress, a mother of three and a friend to so many Mary McCormick, welcome to the podcast. Yay, that was nice. I want to do that every morning. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's the um, way to start the day. Why not? And I've been watching you on Heels, your latest uh, television endeavor. And I was like, once again, I've never seen her do something like this before. Like, like Willie is just such an incredibly different character than the lady you played on The West Wing. Like, it's really amazing that you have found yourself, if you're not headlining something just in an incredible ensemble of yeah, I'm lucky. actors time and time again. That's luck. I mean, I think that's just luck because, you know, the week I got Murder One, which was a really good way to start, it was my first big TV job. And, and it was a really snobby TV. It was Bochco and it was like good writing and I had a big part and, you know, but that same week I tested for the single guy. So it's really, there is a it's it's a lot of luck, you know. Yes. Murder One, your first series regular job. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, when I got Murder One, I was working three restaurant jobs in one two two days out of the week in the same. Like I did a breakfast, a lunch, and a cocktailing shift. So I was dead. That was my brokest and my you know most horrible moment. And and then that, to get that and and at that time, Bochka was so 
powerful in TV because of Hill Street Blues and NYPD Blue. And that he had 22 on the air. Like there was no pilot. We just went into production, which doesn't happen ever anymore. You know, do you remember, did you test for that show? Oh, yeah. I mean, I know the process. he He was so powerful that he didn't make anyone test. You know, but you didn't test before the network. They just agreed with whatever he thought. But I remember auditioning for him, certainly in Alexa Fogel's office in New York. And you got and it. Then, and then I think just once. Just once. Because he's and then, I, and then he called me, yeah. And did you know him before? No, no. Yeah. I went in, I went in for a part that I didn't ultimately end up getting. I went in for this sort of young, a, a part that was Grace Phillips ended up playing, like a sort of sweeter ingenuity role. I mean, I think I was 25 or 26. And, uh, and I had a, this, I've told this story before, but it's, it, it, it's one of my favorite memories of my career, but also Bochco. I had a terrible headshot at the time, like really pretentious. Like, I think I had lace cuffs, a black sort of tunic thing and like lace cuffs. And I put the lace cup up near my face and rested my head on my hand, kind of like just someone, I don't know who told me to do it, but I did it. And then was too broke to reshoot or whatever. So I just used them. And um, they started, it was Charlie Hayde who directed the pilot and Stephen Bochco and Alexa and some assistants and another producer. And, and they all started making fun of the headshot, which I laughed and was like, I know, I know it's ridiculous. And what they were doing in the pose and like sort of handing it around and being like, let me see, let me see. And so finally I just went, all right, well, shut up, you big fathead. I still have to audition. And, and like the room went quiet. Right. And I remember Alexa Fogel's face and just everyone looked at me like, you don't call Stephen Bochco a fathead. Um, and then he went, you know what, don't read this part. He said, take the, take this, uh, these sides. And he gave me the Justine Appleton role to go learn in the hallway. Uh, he said, she's, um, actually we had talked about my hands. I have enormous hands. And he said, she has much bigger hands. Go learn that part. And so I went out and learned that part and came back in. And then later that day, I was, I think I stopped by Rhonda Price's office, my agent's office. And she said, Alex Fogel called and said, you called Stephen Bochco a fathead. And I was like, I did, but it was sort of in jest. And it was, I thought it was okay. And she was like, "Mm, I don't, didn't sound okay. And then, but then he called and uh, her office, Rhonda's office and said, I would like to talk to Mary McCormick. And I got on because I thought, oh shoot, this means he's going to say you did a great job, but we're going to go another way. And I said that to him. I said, oh shoot. I said, you would never call if you're not calling to say like, great job, we're going another way. And he said, no, no, I only call with good news. I make all the bad news calls go to someone else. And then he said, will you come to LA and, and do this? And I was like, okay. And he was like, all right, fathead. And I was like, okay, fathead. So we called each other fat. It's a, my, my, I'm incorporated. My email address is fatty69 and I'm fathead Inc. And yeah, so I miss him. I bet you do. What an incredible thing. But it's such a lesson in authenticity, right? Like that's your humor. And by the way, they were being fatheads, whatever that means. It's like you have to audition and like, okay, it's funny, but you guys, that's like, sorry, that's my picture. Yeah. Yeah. Ding, ding. It's over now. We did it. And I'm here now. So I'm going to read for you without, you don't even have to look at the picture because I'm right here. Yeah. 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 It was a good, um, it was a good lesson in authenticity. I think you're right. Yeah. And it it, took it to who he was, too, because he wasn't hung up on. No, he was real with you. Yeah, that's incredible. I also would like to have someone who makes all my bad news calls for me. Me, too. (laughs) Me, too. I can't do the reading. 
no. <laughs> um, and then someone else just says that she can't do the reading. Um, right. I want to go back. Let us go back together. Um, you are from New Jersey. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about like growing up, you have a younger brother, Will McCormick, who's also slaying in Hollywood as we speak every moment. Um, you have a sister who is a, a judge in Michigan. She's the chief justice of the Supreme Court of Michigan. Just you know, whatever. Yeah, cool. whatever. She's really cool. Yeah. Right. But like, I mean, when I think of you, I just think you're one of the most intelligent people I know you're the most straight shooter, well-read, call it like you see it, hilarious person. What was going on in your house growing up? I think I always had a sense of at least the fathead part of me was always a little intact. Um, And I think it's intact in most women, but then it gets sort of dismantled and then hopefully put it back together. But I think, I don't know, I think um, girls' education might have been part of that. You know, I think, you know, you, you tend to not hide your voice as much when you come out of that. So you went to an Um, all-girls school? I did. And it was pretty formative, like in the years that it matters, you know, in the years where you start to stop raising your hand and stop winning races. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty formative. My girls go to all-girls schools now. And I'm pretty, I, I attribute a lot of that to that time. Interesting. But education yeah. was important. I mean, I never doubted, you know, uh, that we were going to go to college. I went to Trinity, but I just knew you had to go to college. And then, uh, but I was always like, all right, well, it's sort of a waste because I'm just going to go to New York to act, but I'll, I'll do it. You know, it didn't occur to me that I wasn't allowed to not go, you know. So where did the, the desire and that sort of creative spark, what's the origin story of that? I think, you know, when you grow up in New Jersey, there's a lot of actresses from New Jersey, a lot of actors, a lot of creative people from New Jersey. And I think, I think it's my theory on that is that it's, you're so, you can see it, you know, you can sort of see it like class, a class trip or my birthday present was always a Broadway play or, you know, uh, I just always was itching to get into the city and then to see people acting. I mean, to see Broadway, it was only once a year, but it was enough for me to go, shit, those are adults. Like that's their job, you know, like it's, it, you see that it's actually possible. So that, and then, and then when I was little, I could sing. And so I think, and my dad loved, you know, he grew up in the fifties, so he loved musicals. And so we had musicals on in the house. And, uh, and so I started auditioning for um, like local musicals and that meant hanging out late with adults. And, you know, I just was like, Oh, this is, this is where it's at. Like, I like this. And I liked being, I liked the attention. I liked being around show folk. I liked staying up late. I still like all those things. So how did it go from a local theater or a high school show to doing it in earnest as a professional? Yeah. So I am, um, I wasn't allowed to do it professionally when I was little. I remember begging because I being in New Jersey, lots of kids do. Right. And I had some friends who would be like, oh, they're not at school on Tuesday because they're auditioning for, and it would be like, oh, they're, they're auditioning for like Jiffy Pop. And you're like, fuck, you know. <laughs> I want to be in a Jiffy Pop commercial. It just seemed like the most glamorous thing in the world. And, and to my parents' credit, they were like, mm, it's not, it's definitely not happening. And they said, if you want to act, you can be in a local, you know, so I would do like a play at the church or I would do, you know, plays in the park in Edison, New Jersey, which is a really, really big theater, but I would get like a little chorus role in that or, you know, so I think it's actually a, looking back, of course, I'm grateful they did that. Um, uh, but then I went to uh, college and did it through college uh, just for fun. 
and I studied a little, but not really. I mean, I was an English major and, uh, and then, but always knew I was going to New York. And like, I remember leaving Trinity and, and sitting down with a loan officer because I borrowed all the money to go there. And they, you know, they always want to do like an exit interview to sort of make sure as you're signing your paperwork that says you're going to pay for it. They want to know where you're headed, you know, and lots of people are headed to like master's programs or, you know, you know, banks in the city. And I was like, well, I'm going to start in theater and then I'll branch out into TV and film. And, you know, and I just remember the person being like, okay, yeah, go ahead and sign this, sign all this. Yeah. 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 Good luck to you and sign everything. Uh, but it didn't occur to me. You're young enough that you think you can do anything, you know, when you're 20, whatever, 20, 21, you just well, think, yeah, of course out. I can do that. Now you were part of a very famous Hollywood couple. Uh, you and Chelsea Handler are known. <laughs> I was like, I was. Oh, you are. You still are. And one of the like, things I was trying to think of who I dated that was like qualified as that. I was like, Chelsea Handler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know, you know, how you guys met, but you're very, you know, out there together. You've done a lot of different things together. Yeah. And one of the things that either she said or you said is that your dads were both in the business of selling cars. Yeah. And yeah. W- was your dad, was that what your dad did when you were growing up? Yeah, my dad did when I was little. He was a, a Chevy salesman. And then um, on Route 22 in Jersey. And then uh, he was a jewelry salesman. Like a, he's always been a small businessman. And okay. then and then for my sort of when I was like 15 on or f- around then, he uh, had ice cream stores. When you went to New York, obviously yeah. you're from Jersey. So it's not like someone going from, yeah. you know, Iowa to New York city, but like in some ways it is. So it is. How still. do you start? Where do you live? Who do you live with? What happens? So my sister was already there. She was in law school um, at NYU. So I, she had a room for me ready, which thank God. Like she was like, all right. So we got an apartment. She had me all set up. That's a, that was a big um, help. Yeah. And then, you know, I got a wait. I walked around and got waitressing jobs and, I bought how to be a working actor and underlined and took notes and yeah. that book, you know, it was before you bought the Ross reports and you bought backstage and, you know, there was no, I didn't know anyone in the business, like no one. Um, and so I started like at that level, like I just didn't know anyone, but, uh, but it was exciting and fun. And then I remember I, I thought I better learn how this works. Cause I was doing mass mailings and it just all seemed like hopeless and yeah. I knew someone, I'd met someone, I forget how. I met a girl and I forget how, maybe we cocktailed together maybe or something. And she said, oh, my roommate is an assistant at Susan Smith and Associates, which is a, a boutique, small boutique agency. And, and I went, oh my God, I'd love to talk to her. And she was like, back off, you know, cause she was an actress too. And I was like, no, I don't mean that. I just mean, I would love to like pick her brain or talk to her. I just want to, I, I remember wanting to figure out how it worked, how people ever got seen, yeah. you know, and I was studying. I, I, I remember I got a few meetings from cold calling people on the Ross reports, like managers. And one was like, look, you're not ready, whatever. And I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready. You know? And he was like, you're not ready. You need to study somewhere serious. And I was like, all right, well, what, where would it be on my resume? I didn't care about studying. I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready. And I was like, what would you need to see on my resume? Like, where, where should I study that would make you, you know, take me seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, well, any, you know, this one or that one or the William Esper studio. And I just was like, okay, I'll go there. 
So, and I ended up loving it, like instantly was like, oh my God, I need to study. You know, I realized instantly how much I had to learn and, and how just fun that was and fruitful. And, um, and so anyway, I met that, I, I ended up meeting that assistant at Susan Smith and Associates. And I said, do you think I could come in and not say I'm an actor? I would come clean. I'm an actress, but I'll never talk about it. And I want to work for free a couple of days a week. Uh, I'll just get lunches. I'll do faxes. We were doing faxes and I will, you know, I'll do whatever just so I can be around it. And she was like, maybe I'll ask. And so I went in and met with Rhonda and it was Joni Deacons then and Rhonda Price. And that's what I did. I ended up working a couple of days a week for free for over a year. And then eventually they, it was a small office. It was just like th- three women and me. And so we all got to know each other and they would say like, all right, well, you can, you know, we're putting people on tape for this game show today or, or this, there was a small movie and uh, an independent movie called backfire, which I ended up getting the lead in and things like that. And then I started like, they were just sort of giving me the little silly auditions, but I started getting good feedback or, or the job. And so then um, started working with them. And when you're in that class, is that the beginning of your community? Like of knowing other actors? In yeah. Work? Yeah. That- I'd never been around that. I'd never right. studied really. I mean, I did it at Trinity, but Trinity wasn't known for, you know, that. And I just did it for fun. Like we did musicals and, you know, I didn't study like this was Meisner and it was a two year intensive and, and I loved it. I just loved it. And if there's still stuff about the Meisner technique and repetition and sort of how to look at scene work that is still part of your craft. hundred percent. I use it all the time. And, uh, and I, I just think it's, I just go back to it all the time. I think I would like to study it again. I actually was talking mm-hmm. about that recently. Right. Um, like my daughter, my been. daughter just did a Meisner intensive this summer and loved it. And, and it just brought me back. Like we were doing repetition and it just was, I mean, the Spoon River anthologies and I just loved it. I loved everything about it. I mean, I still think about, you know, pinch and ouch. Like, am I, am I expecting them to come through the door? What am I, you know, what do I know right now? And just, just trying to remember how to be truthful, like really truthful. To someone listening, who's listening because they're a huge fan of yours and they don't, they're not performers themselves. What is pinch and ouch? So pinch and ouch is like, you know, uh, you don't want to say ouch before you get pinched. So it's cause and effect, right? Like, so when you see an actor anticipating something, it, as an audience member, we're like, oh, I smell a rat, you know? Whereas if you go into a scene and I expect you to argue with me, and then you don't argue with me, you do the lines totally differently. Well, I should be, re- I should be, I shouldn't argue back. There's no argument, right? If you say, I love you, and you say it like, well, I love you, instead of, I love you, you know? I mean, all of my anticipating just gets us in trouble. Whereas if we right. just listen and I wait to be pinched and I say, ouch, after that, in response to that, then it, it's it's always sort of more truthful, you know, it's more like life, which is, which is the goal. really hard when you know what the lines are, right? Like yeah. this yeah. is the work. Yeah, that's because right. You know, you know the outcome of the scene or the intent of the writer, and yet you need to seem sort of clueless never about happened. what happened. I know, it's so weird. It's the weirdest profession. <laughs> It's an odd job that way. You're right. I never thought about that like that, but, but it's true. It, it, but, but anyway, you, you know, I think about like the song that everyone, whether they're a good singer or not, kind of fantasizes about singing and whether they do it in their bathroom or for an audition. It's, it's 
maybe this time, the Sally Bowles song in Cabaret. Like, it's a song we all know and love so much. Um, And I got to see you sing it on Broadway Uh in Cabaret. And I just think, like, of all the things, right, the moment where that happens, like, oh, I'm I'm Sally Bowles. I can't, uh, yeah. I mean, I I have goosebumps when you say it. Well, we were around each other a lot at that time. We were both getting to work on Broadway yeah. and getting to yeah. go to Joe Allen's every night and just yeah. have the best time of our lives because it's as good as you fantasize it's going to be yeah. um, and hard yeah. and scary. But can we, I'm, I'm jumping around a little, but I just can see you so perfectly, beautifully in that part and in your life at that time. Mm-hmm. Um how did you come to step into the part of Sally Bowles? I mean, I I just got an audition for it. I, I hadn't seen it, actually. I just, because uh, I was in LA and I was doing a show or something. And so I'd missed, but I knew Hickey was in it. And yeah. Ron, I'm really close with Ron Rifkin and he was in it. And so I'd seen, you know, pictures and stuff, but I hadn't seen the play where I was like one of 10 people who hadn't gotten to New York to see everybody in it. Um, and then Sam Mendes was coming to LA to audition people for it. And I thought, well, I, of all the parts. I mean, there's certain parts I've already, I've missed. I missed some great parts, you know, and in theater, you really miss them. Like I never played Juliet. I never played, you know, there's so many roles I missed. And I thought, well, I have to, you know, even if I don't get it, I have to try because it's Sally Bowles. Um, so I auditioned for him in LA and then got it, which was so exciting. And then flew to New York to see it. And I about passed out. I thought, oh no, what have I done? Yeah. I don't want to do this. It was so good. Yeah. And I thought, I just remember sitting there in a panic. Like, I can't do that. Who was in it when you, who were Jennifer you? Jennifer Jason Lee. For? Jennifer okay. Jason Lee. So it was yeah. Natasha and then, and Jennifer, then Jennifer. And then you. And then me. A yeah. lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. And I'd never been on, uh, I'd never been on Broadway and I'd never, so even that was like, this was my whole childhood dream. I mean, I didn't dream about being in TV shows. I dreamt about being on Broadway. Yeah. In musicals, uh, you know, and uh, so yeah, pressure. Pressure. I'd never been on Broadway and I'd never, I mean, that show was so good and so moving and everyone was so good in it. And I just thought, what am I going to do? They don't, they've done this wrong. They've got the wrong girl. Yeah. But guess what? Wow. Turns out. You just do it. Yeah. You you do the best you can. Right. And hope everyone is kind and grade you on a bell curve. And did you have, Like, I want to be graded on a bell curve. I think that's I really funny. in my life, like my parenting, all of it. Because you know, there's some days where you're like, not killing. No, it. and you have three daughters. Yeah, it's too many. That yeah. Well, I'm one of three. I feel so grateful because I'm the third, and so it probably did seem too many to my older sisters and my parents. But thank God for my sake that yeah. they had me. Um, yes. But yeah, then your daughter. Is in heels. So I was thinking yeah. about, um, and she just did the Meisner thing in the summer. So there were very strong rules in your household, which was not yeah. a theatrical household no. in terms of what your parents did, although clearly yeah. great appreciator of the arts. Yeah. Um, was that like a big, how old is she? She's 17. But she's interested in acting. She is. She's um. so she took. Yeah. So I, you know, when they were little, they were never interested, which was good because we wouldn't have let them do it professionally. Right. I would have let them study or or do theater. Um, And then and then she started to be interested around 16 and took a class in town in L.A., which was kind of a silly class. Like I was like, this is weird. Like 
the kids before they did scenes were like, hi, I'm represented at this agency. And like, it just was all the things I was like, nope. like, this is gross. I don't know where you know where teenagers go for proper studying. I mean, you know, I was thinking she could go to Williamstown or, you know, but where do kids go just to sort of put their foot in the water? You know, uh, I don't know. LA is weird like that. Like I think yeah. the emphasis is on all the wrong. Maybe there are in fairness. I have no idea. There might be great studios and there probably are, but so then she, this, she, um, finished that class and then did another and then um, auditioned for heels. Cause it was, it came up and Michael Malley, the great Michael Malley, who we also know from our early days in New York. Um, it was COVID. And he said, listen, they'd love it. If, if any of your daughters, he said, I don't know who's what age he said, does anyone like acting and are they any good? And I said, well, I have one daughter who's expressed some interest in acting and she studies a little Um and she looks like me and, and they wanted that. And then with COVID, I think they were really interested if she was able to do that. I think it was like, you know, pre pre vaccines. So it was a really, no, and keeping it in the pod would have been right. Yeah. So she could live with me and, you know, all that and not be, you know, exposing each other. So yeah, she wonderful? did a great audition and she did a great job. I'm really proud of her. And then this summer she, she, she really, to her credit, you know, both Michael and I said, listen, if you want to do this, um, you can't be like all the kids we work with on sets. Like there's so many young kids who are, you know, gorgeous and, and probably have talent, but no set etiquette and no technique and no, uh, and it's maddening and, and icky to watch. And so both Michael, who, you know, ran the old Vic and comes from theater and, you know, we both were like, you're not, not, not from our team. You're not going to do that. And she was like, okay, okay. So she did uh, an intensive Meisner. And then she did Artsbridge, which is a really good um, program. She loved it. So we'll see. She likes it a lot, but she also loves philosophy and English. She has a lot of interest. So I'm not sure where she'll end up. You have had, um, uh, we're talking about Michael Morris, Mary's husband, who's also ridiculously talented and could be on the show to talk about producing and directing and yeah, he'll do it. He'll all do the it. things. Um, when you think about sort of, you know, starting with Bochco, who, mm. who really had this kind of pedigree and like love for actors. I remember, mm -hmm. you know, even if you just did an episode of NYPD Blue, you would get like this beautiful letter from him that I have like in a scrapbook, you know, like, thank you for being on my show. And for I didn't years, get that. that's so nice. Well, maybe that's because you got the series regular thing. No, and, but that's, and, uh, that's what know, a lovely thing that is to hear. Just, so um, generous and appreciative of everyone from the number one on the call sheet to number, you know, 43 on the call sheet. It's a I really think that's what good showrunners are like that. John Wells is like that too. Like background artists feel just as valued as number one through 10. And, you know, every crew member feels that way too. And I just think the best showrunners are like that. When you joined the West Wing, it was Season four or five? I don't know. I think I may have done one in the end of four or season five. I think I came okay. in the end of five. Right. And I think yeah. you started as a recurring and then you became a series regular on I the show. I was a series regular from the start, but maybe they, they may had have less to do and then you had much more to so. do. Um, I think so. But so you came into this, unlike other things where you either created, yeah. you were there on the very first day for the very yeah. first table reading yeah. to come onto a moving train like that. Yeah. Um, how did you integrate yourself into this big, beautiful piece of yeah. art that you guys were making? I mean, it was scary uh, because I was a fan of the West Wing, obviously, and also my favorite actors. I mean, you know, 
that was a, a really scary first day. Richard Schiff was directing my first episode. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd worked with him a few times, a bunch of times before, but I didn't know him well. We just were on the same projects. And um, my first scene was with uh, Martin and Lily, Martin Sheen and Lily Tomlin. And I remember I get something when I get nervous, My I get this thing in my ear gets unbalanced. Like, I, and I, I have to sniff to even it out. Like you're on a plane, but I have to go like, yeah, try to like, Otherwise everything's echoing. And so I kept sniffing and then I was like, Oh God, they're going to think I have a Coke problem. Like, right. And I remember saying to Lily Tomlin, like, I don't have a Coke problem. I don't have a Coke problem, which makes you sound like you have a Coke problem. Right. Who says I don't have a Coke problem. (laughs) Only a Coke addict. It was a train wreck. Um, But yeah, no, I was thrilled to get that job. I mean, really so excited. I had done some ERs and John Wells. So you um, knew each other then. Yeah. So he said he had wanted me to stay on ER and like do this long sort of thing with uh, Noah Wiley, but I um, had already agreed to go to K street with Soderbergh. And so when K street ended, the ER train had already sailed. They had re, you know, rebroken that story. And so he said, well, why don't you join the West wing? And I was like, all right, great. Better. So for me, so yeah. So Michael and I were living in New York then and flew back to LA and joined the West wing everyone who works with you wants to have you on their next project. And what an incredible thing that is in a town where there's this idea of loyalty and it never really happens. Um, Or people say like, of course you're going to be in my next thing. You really are. And your friends, you make friends obviously very well on sets, like not, it's, it's, Hard. There's a lot going on yeah. and it's hard to connect. Yeah. Like, how is it that you are able to have a weird thing in your ear and a nervous yeah. tick, yet yeah. still like be present enough and bring your whole self to the thing that like you make these deep work, work relationships yeah. that repeat themselves. I like to be on sets. I like, I liked when I got murder one, that was a time when it was like, you know, I was lucky it was Spotchko and it was kind of snobby TV, whatever. But really, I liked all TV. And I, you know, at that time, it was like TV. If you did TV, you couldn't do film and you couldn't do right, theater. Right, right. All like, the rules. It, all, all, now it's all like, whatever, just get anything. And it's all, it's all yes. acceptable to sort Thank of you, blend. But back <laughs> then, it was like, if you did TV, you were ghettoized. Like, it was like, yes. you're done. And I didn't care. I really liked it. Like, I liked, I remember being on Murder One, though. And I'd never seen the soundstage, never even seen, I'd never been to LA. So I was like, not only was I in LA for the first time and on a soundstage for the first time, which is this enormous, and there's hundreds of people around holding equipment I'd never seen. And, and I had a closing argument in a courtroom with like a hundred extras, you know, full jury, judge, gallery. And I had a, mo- a closing argument like that. And I remember being so scared because I just was overwhelmed. I mean, I was, mm-hmm. I knew it, I worked on it. Right. But I was itching my legs through my pantyhose so hard that when I went home and took them off, I was bruised. All my thighs were wow. bruised from like, like fear, terror, terror, like through my yeah. stockings. And I remember deciding to go to Stephen Bochco and just come clean. And I said, listen, I went into his office and I said, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to suck for a little while. Like I'm going to do my best, but there's going to be a learning curve. And I can only promise that I'll do my part to make it really sharp. Like it'll be steep, um, but I just wanted to come clean. And he was like, don't worry about it. He was like, I know what I'm doing. I have my own plane. And that was all he said. 
I know he was so funny and they like, walked me out really sweetly and stuff, but like, he wasn't even going to hear it, but I, I felt better having said it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think, but then I was on the softball team and murder. I like crews. I like, I like being part of a family. I like when babies are born and we guess their weight, you know, I like all that. I like being, and I feel like now that every movie star in the world is like, Oh, TV is kind of interesting. I'm like, back off. I was here. Yeah. For yeah. I've worked very hard. I liked this when it wasn't cool. Yeah. So back it up. But then you got to come back to New York and do with, and by the way, and co-star with so many funny people and Mark Rylance, like no. this, this theater animal, um, Literally, yeah. who, who is his own species. I agree. Um, and Boeing, Boeing is the show. And, and so that and to is share when, the, all those scenes with him. I mean, like to play opposite him was, I, yeah. I mean, that's like actor heaven. Like I'm done. Like I could retire. I mean, if I and could have stayed in that forever, I would have stayed. Yes. Well, you, they would have liked you to, you, you had to move on. <laughs> you had other jobs that you had to do. Um, tell me about a little bit about what it is working with someone like that, who seems to speak his own language in certain ways Yet you guys were so connected and comedically you know, because you really, he is like it working with an animal, meaning he, there is nothing, Mark, Mark, nothing can happen to him on stage. That's bad because it's all for him. It's all opportunity. Like I remember one night a chair fell over. He had this sort of bit of staging where he like was supposed to get on a chair or something. And the chair fell. And I remember thinking like, Oh no, what's he going to do? And of course for him, it's Christmas. Like he was like, Oh, a new bit. Like he was behind the chair and he's like, coming up over the chair and like pretending he was on a Western and shooting people and like, you know, all opportunity for me, I would be like, how do I get that chair back up? Because I got to yeah. get it back up before I get the drinks. And then once I get the drink, if the chair's not up, I mean, and I'd be in that land, yeah. you know, or he if, you, he, if he got a big laugh doing something new like that, you never saw it again. Like he doesn't, you know, I would do the same bit if it was getting a laugh. I would do it till there was no more laughs. Obviously, it's very I would satisfying. The bit in front of everybody. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you'd ruin um, it, and, right? Yeah, ruin it completely. Ruin yeah. it. Uh, and he just would not. He's just fully alive. Like a fly flies by him on stage, and he's like, you know, it just is incredible to watch and to be around, mm-hmm. and and you know, learn from, to learn from because all of his as funny as he is, and he is the funniest when, he, especially in that play but it's all based in truth you know it's all based in truth and it's all tiny details like he's like an etching like you know I don't know how people in the back row of a massive house see you know he raises one eyebrow like this and the whole audience explodes like how are they even seeing it yeah because they're so connected to him and he's so connected to the truth, you know, and all of his jokes are connected to the truth, which makes them funnier, which was the biggest lesson, you know, sometimes yeah. I would do things in that because it's a broad farce and, you know, yes. you end up, we're all hand bones. I mean, Bradley and I would be like, what if I, I was like, what if I run around like Lenny Riefenstahl? What if I do like a run across the stage? Like, you know, and Matthew Warchus would come and he'd be like too far. And I'm like, really? You told me I couldn't go too far. And he's like, and you did it too far. Like, he's like too far, not at all truthful. He's like, you're just doing it for the gag. And I was like, I am, but he's like, that's and not good enough. The accent that you, that you did brilliantly and consistently, was it based uh, on like, were you like, I think, did you take something you knew and then no. morph it into? No, I just remember I was, I, I auditioned for that part and I'd never done a German accent. 
So I worked with it before the audition. I knew I wanted to be in it and I knew I wanted to impress Matthew. Most of all, even if I didn't get in it, I was like, yeah. I don't want to fuck up in front of Matthew Ward. No, no, so no. I went uh, to a dialect coach I work with in LA and, uh, and did my best in like, I think I had three or okay. four or five, five sessions before the audition, yeah. but so I apologized and then just went for it. And then, and then he said like, it's going to get much bigger, you know? And I was like, he said, it's just only funny if you completely, you know, ruin it. I mean, who speaks German like that? I mean, it was like, you know, I was yelling everything like I was a Nazi, you know. You know, I want people to, after this, just go to YouTube. If you didn't get the chance to see it in person. Uh, um, there are I many. Show there. me your papers. <laughs> it was a lot of show me your papers. Did you have so much fun? Was that just yeah. so much friggin' fun? So much fun. I mean, who? I mean, we laughed all night. And then we got into like really bad behavior stuff where we're like trying to make each other laugh which is like when the, you know, when you get to the, Christine um, Lottie was like, I mean, Christine, Lottie, yeah. Who was it? Lottie, my memory um, was literally like, Oh, you guys. I mean, we were like, we were staging things on set to make each other laugh. We were having early calls with crew members to like st- get things set up. We were renting things just to try to break the other person. And I'm so easy to break. I was like, that is the most, when that stuff happens, I'm so scared it's going to happen again and again and again. It really terrifies me that yeah, I'm going to no break on stage. Yeah. Are, I mean, luckily. So you break, a, but can you get it back together? Are you good at I'm being I'm not like, great at that. I'm not great at it. I have real church laughter. Like when I start to go, it's, it's, it's not that. No, it's bad. And Brad Whitford can get me pretty easily. Yes. Yeah very funny person as well. When it was you, great. When you, um, when we talked about, you know, sort of process, because you, you know, you do sitcom, you do single camera, you do multiple camera. I mean, you really do everything. So how do you choose the things you do? What's your process? So the secret is I have no process. I mean, I um, don't do multicam very well. It's a struggle for me. I like okay. it. I love it. And I wish I could do it better. I've done a few pilots. They haven't gone. I think it's with me. I, I'm not the most comfortable in that medium. Like I've done Will and Grace a bunch of times and I have to really work to, I, I, it's not my most easy fit. You know, it feels like harder for me, but I, I remember when I was on murder one and Stanley Tucci was on it and I was auditioned. I had, I had read for private parts and then they wanted me to fly to Howard Stern's movie and they wanted me to fly to New York to meet him. And I remember saying to Stanley, who had just finished Big Night, I was like, oh, God, I mean, I just auditioned because I wanted to meet Betty Thomas. Like, I can't I'm gonna fly to New York and meet Howard Stern. I can't do private parts. And he was like, oh, why? And I was like, well, I want a movie like I want a career like like Big Night. Like I want it to be thoughtful and small and beautiful. And, you know, I have to really like be careful and I have to be. And he was like, but do you have a film career? And I went, well, no. And he was like, well, why don't you just go get one and then and then worry about shaping it later? Yeah. And it was a great piece of advice because A, fuck off to me and right. like that. And B, it was one of my favorite jobs I've ever done and learned so much. And I'm proud of that movie, beyond proud of that movie. Um, and it was just a great piece of advice because it's like, I don't, I just um I just try to work, you know, and I try not to do things that I find embarrassing or bad writing or, you know, but and listen, I've got three kids too. So we all, you know, yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. you do what you have to do now. He's got to pay the bills also. Now things are different, but I never really yeah. thought too much about it after that conversation. I just thought, you know, let me just, 
I'm on a TV show and I'm proud of this TV show. And back then TV was like, well, but Stanley Tucci yeah. was on it and, yeah. and it was good. Patty Clarkson was on it and Dylan Baker was on it. And, you know, it was um, anyway. Yeah. I, the, the secret is he sort of slapped that out of me. And then you got cast as Howard Stern's wife. Yeah. There you and have I it. got that part. I went and met Howard yeah. and, and then read with him and got that part. And it was so much fun. And, and a real opportunity to act, you know, scene after scene of like real stakes and things to do. And Allison Janney was in it. Paul Giamatti was in it. And Betty, the great Betty Thomas directed it. And I'd never been, I'd never had a role like that in a huge movie. And so it was life-changing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Are you still friends with Howard Stern? I am. He's one of my best friends. Yeah. I'm really lucky. He's great. We spend our anniversary with them every year. Oh, really? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, how did you meet Chelsea? We met at a, a women in film event. We were just sitting next to each other and just immediately got along. And um, and that was that. Yeah. And started laughing. Yeah, I think we had the same publicist and um, he put us at, at a table and thought we'd get along and we did. I love how you talk about your kids on talk shows. It's freaking hilarious. Is that something that you have talked to them about? Like this is a... I've seen it now. I mean... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, our birth announcement for the third one just said, we're fucked. Because it was like, welcome to the third daughter. Da, da, da. And then we just said in tiny print at the bottom. And so the first one in tiny print said, oi, oi and ve, I think. And then the second one said, help. No, it was help for Margaret, just in tiny, tiny print at the bottom. And then for Rose, it said, oi and ve. And then for Lillian, it said, we're fucked. So I think they, I mean, in an Irish house, that's how, that's how people talk about kids. So I, that's how we grew up. So I think they, I mean, they get, I think they get the joke. I hope. I'm sure they do. Um, okay. Before I let you go, is there a little known fact about you that you can share on the little known facts podcast? Hmm. You didn't know there was uh, going to be mad. I have a pretty good moonwalk. I took okay. break dancing at the YMCA when I was 13 from a guy named Cesare, who I was in love with. I don't know where he is now, but he left me with a pretty decent moonwalk. If ever I was sad, this was a podcast. <laughs> I told Michael Malley that recently, so I'm hoping it's going to get worked into heels. We'll see. Okay. I'm sure it will. Willie will be doing it. Mary McCormick, thank Yay. you for being on the show thank today. And, uh, so great. So fun. Thanks for letting me ramble on. It was fun. One more thing. So many of you have asked, how do you donate to the podcast? Well, it could not be easier. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. Instructions are clearly laid out. And I'm so grateful to you in advance for any donation you choose to make. But regardless, I have loved, loved, loved making the previous 200 and something episodes for you. I can't wait to make 200 more. I wish you a beautiful day. Stay healthy. Be safe. Until next time. The episode was edited by Nicholas Clark. We recorded in New York City. And the Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded by Georgia Famusa with backups by Caleb Famusa.